everybody, Jimmy Smith on today's Unlocking the Cage podcast. Dana White addresses his absence from Francis Ngannou's UFC 270 win. Do we believe him? Jake Paul attempts to annoy Dana White yet again about fighting him. And I speak with Josh the Punk Thompson about Bellator 273. Dana White addressing the Francis Ngannou situation. For those of you who have been living under a rock or something, the deal was Dana White not putting the belt around the waist of Francis Ngannou after his victory over Cyril Gaon last Saturday. Mick Maynard did it. Also, he was around for the co-main event. I want to make that abundantly clear. He was at the event to a certain point, in fact, right before the main event, and then left. Given the back and forth, this seemed a little weird. So this is what Francis Ngannou had to say about it in the UFC post-fight press conference when asked. Here he is. I noticed uh, Mick Maynard uh, put the belt on you and not Dana. Was that at your request? You didn't want Dana to do that? Or what, what, why, why did that happen? I don't know. You have to ask him. <laughs> so, so you did not have anything that no, you didn't no, say, I don't I do want Dana. I not have anything to do about that. Okay. I think that was their decision. I'm about to ask about that, too. Okay. Um, and I guess at least, you know, Dana doesn't come to the press conference. It makes the inference that it's something to do with you, right? So is, um, does he it make you want... to the press conference? He wasn't here, no. He wasn't ah, okay. here. Well, I didn't know that, too. Does it make you wonder what your future is in the company, given that? Well, it's been a long time that I've been uh, wondering about my future in the company, so... Nothing has changed. I'm still in the same position. Yeah. Makes sense. I'm not in any worse position now than I was before. Um, Dana, another thing to add, he wasn't at the press conference either. either. So it's not like he, he didn't put the belt around the waist of Francis Ngannou and then showed up at the press conference. He wasn't there for the press conference either, where he might have to answer some tough questions about Francis Ngannou, Cyril Ngannou, all that stuff. So anyway, Dana White addressed it uh, about why he wasn't there, he it was a a UFC Q and A on ESPN Plus with Laura Sanko, friend of the show, who obviously does you know commentary work for the UFC. She's been put in this position before after uh, Cyborg got cut, and so she, she this is kind of a thing she has done before. She kind of kind of moderates, mediates, however you want to put it. So this is what Dana White had to say about this incident. If nobody asked it, I know they're dying to ask it, is that I wasn't out there for the main event. I actually walked yeah. in the arena right after the co-main event because there was stuff going on uh, uh, backstage that I that I was dealing with. But, you know, for, for anybody to think that I was showing any type of disrespect toward Francis, I saw Francis all week, you idiots. I, I, I shook his hand. Uh, I said hi to him. You know, uh, you, you know, I was out there for the, for, for the stare downs, the whole thing. Two, two parts to this. I had a thing is a really weird reason to miss a heavyweight title fight that's the main event. Unless he said something was on fire backstage or there was some kind of emergency, the idea that he just happened to have this thing happen right when Francis Ngannou was fighting and then ended up winning, and then it kept him out long enough that he also couldn't attend the press conference. He doesn't talk about that either. It just it happened to be something. I want to make this abundantly clear. 
it happened to be something that kept Dana White away from just the main event and the press conference. Didn't happen before. Wasn't short enough that he missed the fight, but then was at the press conference. It just happened to take him away from a main event in which the guy he's been feuding with won. So, all right, it's possible. And he never mentions what this thing is. He doesn't give us any indication what it is. There was a thing. I'm not saying that's impossible, right? The other side of this that is very, very Dana White, we're all idiots for thinking he could possibly be petty enough to not put the belt around the waist of Francis Ghana when we've seen him do things that were equally as petty. So the implication that everyone who thinks he was disrespecting Cyril Ghana is out of their mind. How could they possibly think that? What? Do you remember KOB back in the day? It was, a while, it was obviously a while ago when they actually posted a list of title defenses in the light heavyweight division that didn't include Tito Ortiz, even though he was like second or third on the list at the time. Do you remember that? They just excised him from the list. They showed it on air, a list of light heavyweight title defenses, and it had, I forget how many, like top five, whatever, and Tito wasn't on there, even though he was second or third on the list. Do you remember that, KOB? Oh, you idiots. Yeah. You think you, you, you really think I'd be so petty as <laughs> to just leave him off if it was an unfortunate oversight by our team? Right, exactly. Like, it's, it's hilarious to me. You idiot. And, right. It, it's not as though there isn't maybe something that could keep him out that exact amount of time or, you know, from then on, right? I had to leave the building because of this thing, whatever the F it was, which he doesn't elaborate on, somehow kept him away from this. Sure, possibly. But the idea that, oh my God, how could you even think that he would do that? That's just ridiculous. That's like that's just slapping us in the face. We know how petty Dana White has been in the past about these kinds of things. So that is the other slap in the face that I find absolutely hilarious. It is like, you know, your wife comes home and finds a naked woman in the closet. There could be a reason why there's a naked woman in the closet that doesn't involve you banging somebody. But it better be a really good reason. She's not an idiot for thinking perhaps you are banging someone while she's at work. She's not the idiot. You're the one that has some explaining to do. And Dana White just is always doing that. You know, like about, oh, man, it doesn't work. This, why does Henry Cejudo think he can come out of retirement and fight? You did it for GSP. Why is it he take all that time off and keep his p- place in line? Like Conor McGregor did? Like that? Can't wait for a title shot. Can't just wait around. Right? You let other people do it with consistency. So the idea that we're all, you know, shouldn't believe our eyes or remember our history is kind of funny. That's kind of the hilarious part to me. Um, not that something couldn't take away. I'm sure something could. But the idea that how could we even think that is kind of funny. So um, anyway, and this is Dana White elaborating a bit on, on why he wasn't there. I wasn't out there for Michael Bisbing Rockhold's fight either because I was dealing with some stuff. And uh, I sprinted from the back. I didn't even have my jacket on. I was still in my 
my only only have my shirt on to go out there and put the belt on Bisbing, but I, I couldn't make it out there to put the belt on Francis. Um, you know, th- there's only been one time that I've walked out on on a, a a fight and made it very clear. Showed up to the press conference and said, "This is exactly why I left." It was in Abu Dhabi um, uh, with Anderson Silva. I think Damian it was the Damian Maya fight. Yeah. Uh, w- once again, you were at the press conference. <laughs> this one, you were not. If he had shown up at the press conference because, oh, sorry, I couldn't be there, da, 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 I would go, all right, you know, could have been something. But you weren't at the press conference either. And I want your opinions on it. 877-FIGHT-93, 877-344-4893. There are a million stories about Dana White doing stuff like this uh, at, at various levels to various people for various reasons, okay? Uh, one of them that I thought was funny that I heard from a Spike executive is they had all of the uh, uh, video pieces that contained Forrest Griffin taken out of the open because they were in a contract negotiation with him. They just had him, like, excised from the open. They had the editors take him out. And I heard this from a Spike executive. Dano called and said, take him out because, you know, we want to show him that we can remove him if we feel like it. Similar kind of situation, and Forrest got pissed and, was, and came to the Spike guy. I was like, hey, what happened? He's like, hey, talk to your boss, man. Talk to your boss. Don't come to us about it. So, once again, the Tito Ortiz thing I just mentioned where he's just excised from the records, record books. Is, you know, Dana doesn't like him. Um, and uh, as, as, as I've said before, love Laura Senko. Um, I think she's absolutely great, but she works for the UFC. Dana White is not going to make comments like this in front of someone who's going to ask difficult questions. Like, I didn't hear her, and I don't know, I didn't listen to this thing, say, then why weren't you at the press conference? I had a thing that I couldn't make it back in time to put the belt on him. Okay, you skipped the press conference too. Why? Was it th- that long? Something required the, 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 the head of the UFC to take care of a problem right then that is long enough to keep, you know, th- those are like normal, rational questions that Laura Senko, God bless her, is not in a position to ask as an employee of the UFC. She can't. So... You know, everybody else is an idiot for assuming a guy that has been incredibly petty in the past didn't just do the same thing again. Uh, it's weird. Yeah, it's it just is what it is. But I, I like I don't I don't I don't begrudge that explanation. But the idea that how dare we question that, you know, why would he disrespect somebody like that? Uh You've done it before. You'll do it again. We understand it. But come on. The idea that we're a bunch of idiots is kind of funny. I got to say. 877-FIGHT-93 is the number. 877-344-4893. What I want to know is, do you believe Dana? Do you believe Dana White that something happened to keep him away? Not before the fight. Because he obviously uh, put the belt around Davis and Figueredo. Not before the main event. But during the main event. And during the press conference, it happened later. He just happened to be away from it that long. So, okay, it's certainly possible. But the second implication that we're all about, like, how, you idiots, you morons. I'm not, yeah, yeah, we, you know, we get it. We know, right? We know what you do, Dana. Come on, done it a million times. That side of it as well. The idea that we must be out of our minds. To question this. 
KOB, what do you think of his explanation, period? But which, by the way, he didn't elaborate on what it was that happened to keep him away that amount of time. You know what well, I mean? Well, look, when you hear, like, yes, like, I did the face-offs, I shook his hand, we saw each other, stuff like that, like, all right, fair. But, yeah, it's like you said, the whole, you guys are idiots for thinking I'd be that petty, come on, Dana. Like, yes. we, we, we've seen you, we've seen you be petty. Like we, right. we all know the deal. So we're not crazy for thinking you might snub this guy. Cause you're a little upset about it. Cause it's been, it's happened in the past. Yes. And, and it's this idea that any rational, like Dana, you know, if Dana were behaving like a rational human being, it would be, I get why you think that, but that's not the case. Once again, your wife comes home and finds a naked woman in the closet I get why you why I know why this looks bad. I get why this looks bad, but I have an explanation. You wouldn't say, "How could you possibly think?" Right? It's crazy. And Guns just wrote me. Uh, tell everybody what you wrote, which is obviously another point. It's not like it was a first round knockout. Right. Like, oh, sh- <laughs> oh shoot, I missed it. It went yeah. the longest. It possibly could have went to decision. Like, yeah, it's not like, oh, shoot, I'm, you know, breaking right, news. Right, right. Went no. to the bathroom and it was a quick knockout and I wasn't ready for it. Yeah, absolutely insane. Busted Open is your daily home for all things pro wrestling. Join Dave LaGreca, WWE Hall of Famers, Billy Ray and Mark Henry, and hardcore wrestling legend Tommy Dreamer. Dave LaGreca here. From WWE to AEW, Impact, New Japan, Ring of Honor, and more, we talk it all. Whether you grew up watching Ric Flair or Stone Cold Steve Austin, Busted Open is your place for pro wrestling. Busted Open, Mondays through Saturdays at 9 a.m. East on Fight Nation, Sirius XM Channel 156. Jake Paul was basically discussing, and to give you a little background, he has said with his business partner that he's investing in Endeavor to change fighter pay from the inside. I had John Nash on a few days ago. <laughs> KOB, summarize his viewpoint on that one. What did uh, John Nash have to say about all that? Pretty much what looks like it's already <laughs> happening. That right. MMA, that MMA media and everybody on the outside is going to flock to Jake Paul or his business partner. They'll be focusing on that when really – the whole buying into Endeavor really means nothing. It will probably affect no change whatsoever. Uh, but the media will flock to it. For the simple fact that they can't buy enough shares that they can actually change anything. They can't. It's, it's, it's not mathematically possible. So there's that, too. There's this idea that it, they can't buy enough shares to force anybody to do anything. They can buy shares and be on conference calls and be a pain in the ass, but they can go around that pretty easily. So Jake Paul was on first take, and this is what he had to say about Dana White and fighter pay. Paid all of them are. So it's really about fighter pay and getting them health care and poking the bear and disrupting his whole entire business. I'm dropping a diss track on Dana White tomorrow morning. So you, you'll see that, and I'm not stopping anytime soon, but this is about the fighters. You know, I want to create – a fighters union you know this is my goal is to really impact the whole entire sport both mma and boxing and leave an everlasting stamp and i just so happen to not be beholden to anybody a lot of these ufc fighters are beholden to dana white they can't speak out against him so i'm using my platform because i'm one of the very few people who actually can 
and I don't, I don't, I'll say whatever. I'll speak the truth. Um, so I'm just doing what, you know, my, my responsibility is as a fighter and as someone who cares about other fighters paid all. All right. Okay. I'm not saying what he's saying or trying to do is wrong. All right. I'm not saying that. Okay. I'm not. I, I don't know his motives, okay? Maybe he is really concerned about fighter pay and wants to do something great. It just seems like a publicity stunt that he can't really affect change. And I'm not against him affecting change. I'm just saying I don't think he can really do it, and I find it hard to believe that it's simply out of a genuine concern for his fellow fighters that he's doing that. It seems more like a YouTuber trying to get publicity because he can't really do anything. He can yell and scream, but that's the same thing that gives attention to him. Oh, I'm drawing attention to the plight of fighters. Yeah, but you're also drawing attention to yourself and your brand and your fights and all that stuff. So... Do you get what I'm saying? Where I am just, I, I, I'm not saying he's wrong. I'm not saying these things. I'm just also saying that it happens to keep you on ESPN first take, which is exactly what you want. Get what I'm saying? I, I just question his motives, fair or not. Uh, fair, 100% fair. But I just, <laughs> before we even brought John Nash on, you and me both kind of looked at it when we heard he was buying into uh, Endeavor. Yeah. It was, news, it was headlines everywhere. And it was like, we both like, do people think this is going to matter? Like, yes. it's not. It's not even going to come close to mattering. Um, so we knew that. But everyone else seemed to go over the top like, oh, my God, Jake Paul bought into UFC. Wow, he's really going to disrupt things. Like, that was a weird prevailing thought. And even more so, like, it's just playing out exactly the way John said it would. Like, people are going to get into this. Yes, it's going to be Jake Paul still keeping his name out there. Like, I love the whole, like, I'm going to release a diss track. Like, Oh, boy, a diss I'm track sure, will really I'm do sure it. Yeah, I'm sure that's going to get Dana White's attention. Dana White has had a million diss tracks <laughs> by pro <laughs> fighters for years, okay? He doesn't care. I don't think he's going to care about Jake Paul's diss track. That, um, that's what I mean. Like, I'm going to affect change with a diss track. Really? Yeah, but that's really? what I'm saying. Like, like that I, when, when, I, when I hear Jake Paul yeah. speak, like, every now and again, like, when he had, like, and I mentioned this the last time we talked about it. Like, when he had that card and he threw some of the money that he made at the other fighters on the card, I right. thought that was yeah. I thought that was a really cool move on his part. So I don't want to bash the guy completely. Right, like that right. was a, that was a solid thing to just give away you know money to everybody else on the card to make sure that like they got a bump. That's doing something. All this other crap to me seems like it's it's like a childish. It really does seem like a YouTuber's idea of help. Right. Of like. Of it's like, thoughts oh, and prayers. Right. I'm gonna I'll... buy into Endeavor. It's like they're not right. gonna take your call. You won't be on the shareholder meeting calls. Like they're, they, you're, you're, there's no way. Oh, I'm going to release a diss track. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, have fun with that. We'll see how far that really goes. Oh, I'm going to create a fighters union. Ask Leslie Smith how that went. Like, it's just... There it, are no functional real steps, right? It is... It's thoughts and prayers. It's, because that's the thing. Yeah. We've seen, we've seen it happen in MMA all the time. Like, why do I think Jay Paul's not going to create a fighter union? Because people have tried. Didn't work. Francis Ngannou and other people have tried to go to go up against Dana White, but there's always someone there who will undercut them and, and, and hurt the cause. So this is not an easy sport to round up. So all of these things that he's doing to me is the YouTuber idea of affecting change. Like, I can do this because I have this profile. No, you can't, Jake. Like, I'm sorry. You're not going to be the guy who does it. 
And to me, too, and, and it was it was a, a statement of, of fact that when, when we had John Nash on, he said people like simple solutions. And this sounds like a simple solution. They don't get the complexities of these problems. You don't understand how hard it is to really do this. And, you know, when 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 John Jones, every time John Jones gets in trouble. Uh, R.J. Clifford and I were working together during one of his idiotic things. And people go, man, someone needs to, to talk to that guy. Wow, really? No one's thought of talking to John Jones. Wow, someone needs to, really? Wow, why didn't I think of that? Someone needs to tell him he's being an idiot. People have. He just didn't listen to them. Right? It's as, as if uh, solving these problems is super easy. It's not. It's incredibly complicated. And the thing that is actually affecting change, once again, please download our episode with John Nash. We had a great interview with him. And one of the things he talks about is the lawsuit, the antitrust lawsuit, is forcing the UFC to change their contract structure. Now... People like Francis Ngannou can wait out their contracts. They're not happy. There's a five-year maximum on these contracts. So they can wait out their contract, which Francis Ngannou looks ready to do. That is affecting change. But most UFC fans couldn't tell you one minor detail about this gigantic lawsuit that may change the face of the UFC if you put a gun to their head. Because it's not simple. It involves a slow, laborious, difficult legal process. And that's sad. But it's true. It's sad, but it's true. It's a metaphor for so many things in life. People don't like a complicated truth. They want a simple lie. And I'm not disrespecting Jake Paul's efforts in a sense. I, I, it's like I, I, I appreciate, I guess, that you're trying to do something. But the idea that people don't get how complicated this is is a little disheartening. Am I making sense, KOB? No, yeah, making sense. And the funny part, I was like yeah. mentioning the lawsuit, like, you know why Jake Paul is able to say, like, oh, only 17% goes to the fighters? Do you know why we know that? Because of the lawsuit. The lawsuit, right, that like, made them release those, all that paperwork. Those right. numbers would still be kept in the dark, and we probably still wouldn't know exactly how much was going if not for the lawsuit. Like, that's what's actually going to affect change, and no one cares about it. It's, just, it's, exactly, it's too complex. There's too much litigation. It's been, it's been going on for years, and will probably continue to go on for several more years before we finally get an outcome. But that's what's going to actually affect change. When I see Jake Paul, it's like, do I think there's a part of him that earnestly wants to actually help fighter pay? I'm sure there is. But, like, the, the ways he's going about it, like, dude, this is the YouTube, Instagram right. YouTube influencer way right. of thinking, like, that that over-the-top, like, I can do it. Like, I can affect change with this. Like, have fun with you. I can't wait to hear the diss track and see how stupid it is about, like, oh, yeah, well, you're just going to make fun of Dana White. Be, uh, same thing you've always said. Like, oh, he's, he's doing snorting coke. Like, I'm sure Dana's really going to care at the end of the day about the, the, the Jake Ball diss track and go, you know what? You're right, Jake Paul. If it wasn't for that diss track, you know what? Oh, we're gonna re-sign, man, we're gonna, we're gonna re-sign Francis and Ghanu today <laughs> for whatever money he wants, all because of Jake Paul's diss track. Thank because you, Jake of Jake Paul. Paul's diss track. Right? I now see the error of my ways after all these years because <laughs> of Jake Paul's diss track. Like, just uh, it's, it's 
it's, it's at, funny. It's, it's like it's it's it, ridiculous. It's funny because of how MMA media will flock to it. That's why. We're talking about it because we're talking about how dumb it is. And we want to try to prep people for how dumb it is and get them yes. to know. Because MMA media is going to flock to this and be like, oh, yeah, Jake Paul really fighting. And people will, will be out there like praising the guy. Like, oh, he's trying to make change. Like he's doing it the bare minimum way <laughs> of trying Thoughts to make change. So yeah. Thoughts and prayers. Yeah. Thoughts and prayers. Busted Open is your daily home for all things pro wrestling. Join Dave LaGreca, WWE Hall of Famers, Bully Ray and Mark Henry, and hardcore wrestling legend Tommy Dreamer. Dave LaGreca here. From WWE to AEW, Impact, New Japan, Ring of Honor, and more, we talk it all. Whether you grew up watching Ric Flair or Stone Cold Steve Austin, Busted Open is your place for pro wrestling. Busted Open, Mondays through Saturdays at 9 a.m. East on Fight Nation, Sirius XM Channel 156. Josh the Punk Thompson to talk about Bellator MMA with us. Of course, they have a show uh, this weekend, this Friday, and it is, I'm looking at it right now, Bellator 273. What we have for the main event, Ryan Bader versus Valentin Moldovsky. Moldovsky 11-1, Ryan Bader 28-7, a veteran of the UFC, obviously Bellator light heavyweight and then heavyweight champion, and then lost the light heavyweight title. Now exclusively the heavyweight champ, Benson Henderson versus Islam Mamadov, Henry Corrales versus Aiden Lee, Sobah Homasi versus Jalil Willis, and Darion Caldwell versus Enrique Barzola. So that is the main event card. And so it's from the Footprint Center, Phoenix, Arizona. And it's on, as it always is, on Showtime this Friday. It's going to be very, very interesting, but... Some of the things that are immediately springing to mind, and I cannot wait to ask Josh Thompson about. Oh, see him right there. What is up? How you doing, Josh? I'm doing good, man. How you guys doing? Doing well, man. Doing well. Glad to have you. So uh, this Bellator card, 273, uh, I want to start out, uh, if you don't mind, with a guy you had yeah. experience with. You fought him, Benson Henderson, in the co-main event. Five and six in his Bellator run, man. How hard is it with his number of fights at his age and his experience to change things around and kind of right the ship? How hard is it, man? Well, I think so much the fact that he's got the talent, the ability, all of those things to get it done. The issue is, though, is that as he's getting older, the talent's getting a lot stronger at the younger ages. I mean, this is not a young man's sport. It's not an old man's sport anymore. It's now becoming a young man's sport, and that's the issue. For older fighters, like, you know, there was guys in the past that could do it for a long period of time. Like, Randy Couture, he did it until he was, what, 47? Dan Henderson. There's there's guys who were able to fight. I mean, like, you look at myself, I fought till I was 39. Frankie Yeager's pushing that age right now. There's a lot of talented fighters. But now, as, you're getting, as we're getting older, the younger generation has been doing this since they were kids. They've been training nothing but MMA since they were children. And so they're getting better at a younger age, say at 21, 22, 23. These guys are really good. And so I think he's going to have a hard time against Mamadov, who I've trained with for years at, at, at AK. So you bring that up. I think it's an interesting thing to talk about, talking to Josh the Punk Thompson. Um, you know, Randy Couture, he fought till he was, you know, however old he was he started at 33 like yeah he, he, he went a while he didn't have the wear and tear of starting out super young the scale like you started after college you were at stanford that's when you really started training stuff like that so so 
So give us some insight on his opponent. A lot of fans aren't going to know about him, but his record, 20-1. and one. He's Dagestani. He's had one fight in Bellator, but that, that, that Eastern European killer, man. T- tell us about Islam Mamadov. You said you've trained with him before, man. Yeah, Mamadov is tough. He's good on the feet. He's a very, uh, very Dagestani-style fighter. He's very aggressive on the feet but also very good at mixing up and getting into the clinch. Once he gets to the clinch, you saw what he did to Brent Primus in his last fight. Yeah. Every time Primus got it to the clinch, he was able to foot sweep him, hip toss him, get him to the bottom position. And that's not where Benson Henderson makes his living. He makes his living on being on the top position or staying on the outside and mixing up the heavy leg kicks and the knees up the body and using that, that southpaw style stance to throw his combinations. He's got to make sure that Benson Henderson has got to make sure he stays out of the range of the grasp of Mamadoff. So let me switch gears a little bit and talk about another guy who came in with a ton of hype, a ton of physical talent, a a wrestling background. I'm talking about Darian Caldwell, national champion wrestler. He's taken on Enrique Barzola. He was champ at 135. We kind of thought he would dominate the division for a while, losing to uh, Kyogi Horiguchi twice. And then he lost to AJ McKee, Leandro Higo. Has been up and down the last couple of years. How does he write the ship? Yeah, with him, it's more it's more of a confidence thing with him. When he is riding his confidence, he he's someone that I think is can be unbeatable. But the thing with him is he starts to lose one fight, and then it's not working. He changed camps. Then he went and fought. He won one fight. Then he lost another fight. Then he changed camp. Like, he's having an issue, you know, in finding out where he wants to go and where he wants to be. I think he, now he's right that ship. I think he's now at Sanford MMA. He's now found his true home. He feels like he's going to be there for the longest time. Like, he's been around certain gyms, but I think with him, it's just more of a confidence. If something's not working, you've got to spend more time trying to fix it. Don't switch coaches. And I think now that he has figured that out, I think you're going to see a successful another successful run for him at 135. There was I don't think anyone's ever doubted his talent, his ability, yeah. his wrestling, all of those things. Uh, but he reminds me a lot, and I don't know if people remember this guy, was Mike Van Arsdale. Mike Van Arsdale, yeah. yeah. Yes, 40 Freak. years old, he gets into Freak. MMA, and then he yeah. just is, has success. If people don't remember, he brought Randy Couture to the brink of beating Randy Couture. He just mentally didn't have it there for the confidence. He could wrestle the Dickens out of anybody, and that's the same thing with Darren Caldwell. He's got to believe in himself, and I know he can. He's a You can't be an NCAA national champ and not believe in yourself. And he just needs to continue to believe that, look, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Everything I'm doing, maybe it's not the most, maybe it's not the most perfect way of me doing it, but I got to just continue to get the wins. He starts racking up the wins. I think he can be champion again if he stays focused and believes in himself. Speaking of Josh, the Punk Thompson, of course, uh, working Bellator 273 from Phoenix, Arizona. Of course, that fight is uh, – so a Saturday, yeah, today's the 27th. Yeah, Saturday. Saturday, yes, okay, cool. Trust me, I'm a, my week's been crazy. I'm, ama- I'm amazed yeah. I can keep the day straight. But the main event, Ryan Bader, Valentin Moldovsky. Ryan Bader, what do you think the difference is between him at light heavyweight and at heavyweight? Do you think it's a significant difference for him physically? Huge difference. I mean, I just saw him. Uh, we just got our fighter meetings right now. He physically looks phenomenal. He's filled out. He doesn't look sunken in. The other thing as well, as he is someone who is also getting a little bit older in age. And the fact is, is that when you're dealing with guys like Nemkov, we fought at 205, Corey Anderson, they're younger fighters. They're faster fighters in the heavyweight division. That's why these fighters can fight to a longer duration in their career. 
they they're the speed is not so much a factor the power you may have to deal with but ryan bader is that new hybrid style heavyweight i believe because of the wrestling ability he has that blast double the combinations that he can throw his his kicks and his punches and put them together as well as mixing in his wrestling you know as well as i know when you put heavyweights on their back it's like a turtle on their back majority of the time Right. It's very rare that you get someone like a Moldovsky. It's very rare you get someone like a Ryan Bader, you know, and they fight in a heavyweight division where they can get up from the bottom. That's what made Fedor Emelianenko so dangerous for such a long period of time. He was a hybrid before hybrids existed in that heavyweight division. Fast hands, big power, good ground and pound, good foot sweeps, good takedowns, all of those things. That's why he was so successful, successful at, a, uh, at being a smaller heavyweight. And that's why Randy Couture was the same way. He was successful at heavyweight as well because he could wrestle. He had success because he could wrestle. He controlled the top position and out-hustle and outwork the heavyweights. And that's exactly where Ryan Bader is right now. So in a, in a more general way, um, when you, like, uh, you know, Dan Hooker was at 145, went up to 155. <laughs> now going back down to 45, he's taking on Arnold Allen. And I was asked about this a couple days ago, and I said, once your body adjusts to being heavier, it's hard to pull it back down again. Once your body's a wow, heavyweight, this is nice. It's hard to cut that weight again. Do you think that's a factor with the performances of Ryan Bader? Like you said, yo-yoing up and down. Do you think that's been a, a problem for him? Absolutely, it's been a problem. But I also feel like when you look at someone like a Dan Hooker, right, somebody who could potentially fight at 170 because he's so big for the weight. Yeah. So that's the thing. Are you killing yourself to get down? And Brian Bader, the proof was in the pudding. He, he went back down because it was the tournament. That's why. He went back down because he wanted to try to right the wrong with the MCOF fight. But there was no reason for him to go back down. He should have stayed at heavyweight. He knows that. We had the conversation with him. He felt like, look, it was a good reason for me to go down there, try to win a million dollars, plus, you know, get that redemption against MCOF. But he's like, man, it's so nice to go through camp and I don't have to worry about dieting the whole time, you know, keeping my weight down, feeling miserable, not having the energy to train. He's like, no, I feel great at heavyweight. And I had told him this. When he went up to heavyweight, I said, this is the place for you, especially, you know, being 34, 35 at the time when he went up, this was the place for him to be. And he knew, and he knew that then, and now he admits it a lot more now. He's like, yeah, absolutely, I'm never going back down. He's staying where he's at, and I think you're going to see a, you'll see him be able to, I don't know if he'll be continue to be champion, but I know that he'll have a lot more success in the heavyweight division than he would if he was to stay at 205. Speaking, of course, to Josh, to Punk Thompson from Bellator <coughs> MMA. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about Moldovsky. He's kind of an anomaly in the heavyweight division. 11 wins, only one knockout, seven decisions. He tends to win long, difficult, grueling fights where he controls the pace. That isn't common in the heavyweight division. What kind of problems does that pose for Ryan Bader? It poses a lot of problems because, look, if this fight ends up going longer and longer, Moldovsky is somebody who carries the weight, I think, a little bit better than Ryan Bader does. And then the quick turnaround for Ryan Bader, him fighting at 205 just two and a half months ago and now coming back and having to fight at heavyweight. Is his body make the adjustment well enough to carry it for five rounds? Because this is a title fight. <coughs> so that's a question that needs to be answered. <clears throat> Moldovsky, though, also, like you said, he's, he's one of those heavyweights that likes to fight a long, grueling fight, likes to drag this thing out as long as he possibly can. And he will, though, he will do hip tosses. He will get on top of you. He will try to wrestle you. He will throw punches and combinations in that tight foam booth material, in that tight foam booth. He will try and let his hands go in a tight foam booth. He'll dirty box you and grind you out. <coughs> will Ryan Bader be able to handle that type of pressure? 
because he's been the one that's been able to do that to the heavyweights. Now can he be now will can he stop someone from doing it to him? Uh speaking of course to Josh Thompson about Bellator 273. Last thing I want to ask you about is a guy that I called his debut in Bellator, Henry Corrales, who had a <laughs> he went through a murderous run when I first saw him. Daniel yeah. Strauss, Emmanuel Sanchez, Patricio Pitbull went on a great run. Uh he lost both of his teeth, his front teeth, in the Emmanuel Sanchez fight, spit him out and kept fighting. Tough dude, always fun. What do you think about him fighting uh, this Saturday? So, look, I, and I'm not taking anything against Henry Corrales. Henry Corrales had a great fight, his last fight in Arizona. It's good for him. I talked to him today. It's good for him to have a quick turnaround. <clears throat> he's motivated. He loves fighting in his adopted home in Arizona. Yep. And he's just like, look, this is absolutely amazing. And I cannot wait to get back in there. Stylistically, Aiden Lee is a stud. Aiden Lee is someone who... We'll bring the fight to Henry Corrales, and he we've seen in the past, Henry Corrales needs that dance partner. Yeah. He needs someone to stand in front of him and say, hey, you know what, let's fight, because that's what brings the best out of him. And for him to have a successful night, he needs to make sure that he mixes in a little bit of the wrestling to make Aiden Lee think about it and slow him down a little bit to not overcommit, so then he's available to be hit. That's where Henry Corrales needs Aiden Lee to fight. Now, Aiden Lee, though, has the speed, has the reach. He's six foot six one at 145 pounds. He's going to be able to touch Henry Corrales. Henry Corrales got to make sure that he doesn't get frustrated like we saw in the Juan Archuleta fight and start chasing after him, trying to get the knockout, and then just always taking shots. That's where he's got to be very cautious and careful in this fight because in fighting in front of your hometown crowd or your adopted hometown crowd, the fans will be getting after it a little bit. If you're not having success and he doesn't need to be out there trying to push that pace so hard, he leaves himself open against someone who is a longer and I think a little bit faster than Henry Corrales and Aiden Lee. Dude, always appreciate your insight, man. Uh, uh, Bellator 273 taking place Saturday in Arizona. You'll see Josh, the punk Thompson on the broadcast. Thanks so much for your time, man. Unlocking the cage with Jimmy Smith is part of the Sirius XM podcast network. The executive producer is Michael Russo. The associate producer is Kelly Murphy. Sound design by Nuri Balin. Special thanks to SiriusXM's senior vice president of sports programming and podcasting, Steve Cohen. And SiriusXM Fight Nation program director, Marissa Rivas. SiriusXM Podcasts.